This morning, are in John chapter 21, and uh, we have been really in since Easter, and in the the weeks that have followed, we've we've kind of really focused in on the, on the Gospel of John and some of the the resurrection appearances that John shares with us through through his writing. And uh, so we come to chapter 21, and, and this is the last chapter of John's Gospel, the beginning of that last chapter, and it is the third of the resurrection appearances that he tells us about. So I want to begin John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, may your word and your Holy Spirit speak to us today. Challenge us, invite us, send us into the places in ministry you would call and lead. This is your word. May we be receptive and obedient to your voice. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Fisherman and his wife had uh, twin boys. The problem was that when the twins were born, they had not yet decided on the names. They didn't know what to call the boys. They couldn't find a name that seemed to fit. They couldn't find a name that they both agreed on. So finally, in exasperation, the fisherman, the, the father, said to his wife, said, we're not going to name them right now. We'll just take them home. And as we get to know them, we will, we will find a name. Something will occur that will, will speak to us the name of, of our children. So they brought the twins home. And they immediately began to notice something very peculiar. In that one of the twins always turned toward the sea. No matter where they were, he's oriented his body toward the sea. And the other twin always turned toward the land. One toward the sea, one 
for the land. So finally the father said, that's it. That's what their names will be. One we will name toward, and the other we will name away. So they named their twins toward and away. And they began, to, I know the wheels are spinning, I can see it. They, they raised their boys to adulthood, or young adulthood. And when they were on the, the verge of becoming men, the, their father looked at their mother and said, it's time for them to learn the family business. It's time for them to have their first fishing trip with me. So they made preparations, they made the boat ready, and they set out for their three-month fishing trip. At the end of the three months, they didn't return. After a year, they hadn't returned. Two years, and they hadn't returned. Finally, one day, as his wife was looking out, she saw emerge from the fog the figure of her husband, she knew immediately it was him. She ran to greet him, and she threw her arms around him, and she said, Husband, where have you been, and, and where are my boys? And he said, Oh, wife, it was terrible. The first day of the fishing trip, Tord hooked his first large fish, and he fought hard with that fish for a day, and a second day, and a third day. For a week, he fought that fish until finally he could fight no more, and that fish pulled toward over the side of the boat and into the water, and that fish swallowed our son toward, and neither were seen again. And his wife looked at him and said, Oh, my poor son, my boy toward, what an awful, horrible, ginormous fish that must have been. And her husband said, Yes, it was, but you should have seen the one that got away. Think about it. Think about it. Give it a moment to catch up. Fish stories. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. But it was fun and I couldn't resist. I could have resisted. I didn't want to. Um, and I'll have you know, just so I don't take too much grief on my own for that, I tested that joke on Tony and Ryan and Cassie, and they all gave it approval. So, you know, before you come at me. Fish stories are just that. They're fish stories. They're, it was this big kind of stories. You know, silly, fun, serious. They're all kinds of stories. But, but they account experiences. They're sometimes exaggerated uh, accounts of experiences. But, but they have usually a point or an element. Now, that one didn't. But, you know, a story or, or a lesson in it. John chapter 21 is a fish story. Now, it's a true story, but it centers around it was that big kind of moments. When the disciples, or some of the disciples, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, a few others, when they return momentarily to a life that they once knew, this comes on the heels of those resurrection appearances of Jesus. We're in the, still in the aftermath of, of Easter. And we, have, we, we make a mistake. We, we do this. I think most of us, I do this. In that we assume that as soon as the disciples saw Jesus that first time in the upper room when he appeared to them, that everything kind of fell into place, that it all made sense. 
The reality is we know that it took a long time for the disciples to come to grips with, with what this meant. What, what the resurrection. What, I believe that at this point in the story, they're not even sure they're sane. I mean, I, I'm just, I project myself into the story, and if I had been there, I imagine I'd be questioning my own sanity. You know, did I see what I thought I saw? Did I experience what, I, what we think we experienced? And so their, their world is in chaos. It's been turned upside down. They don't know what to make of this. It's going to take them a long time to figure all of this out. Jesus is going to spend 40 days with them, and even into the, 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 the book of Acts, they're still coming to grips. It would be that final indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that would, would crystallize what all of this meant for them. And so their, their worlds are still kind of topsy-turvy. You know, we talked last week about the reality that our lives are never like this. They, they go like this. And, and they're still kind of coming through this valley. And so in the midst of, of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of trying to make it all make sense, they retreat. And they retreat back into the thing that they knew best. The thing that they did before Jesus ever came into their lives, they go back to fishing. They go back to the familiar, the, the smell of the, the, the sea air, the feel of the net in their hands, the, the, the rock of the boat. They retreat back to the, what was comfortable for them. And, and that's that first point that I pull out of the story is that we, we have this tendency in life, at least I do, that when, when life gets hard, when, when, when my world gets a little turned upside down, I seek to retreat. I want to kind of step back. I want to get away. And, and sometimes they're, they're tangible places in our lives that become retreats. Sometimes it's nothing more than just wanting to crawl in bed, pull the covers up over your head, go to sleep, forget the storms are raging. Whatever it is, there's, there's a necessity to kind of pull back and get into a comfortable place. And when I first read this and started wrestling with the message, my thought was, that's a mistake. That's a problem. The disciples shouldn't be doing this. I'm not so sure that is. I'm not so sure, at least at some level, that, that, that because we all need moments of retreat. We need moments of withdrawal. We need Calgon, take me away kind of moments. Uh, and, and Jesus did that. He would withdraw for prayer and to find strength in his relationship with his Heavenly Father. So I don't think it's necessarily that they, that they retreated that was so dangerous, but it was what their intent was. And we don't know what the intent was. Were they pulling back to go back to what they had previously known permanently? Were they walking away from the call that Christ had placed on their life? Or were they were just momentarily having some time to retreat and try to clear their heads? We don't really know what the intention was. And the reason we don't know is because John doesn't feel the need to tell us. Because whatever it was, Jesus shows up and he redirects the story. That's what Jesus does. He pops into our narratives, into our stories, into our lives, and he helps to redirect the direction. And that's exactly what he does here. Now, now I think there are just... There are moments where, where we, we, we gloss too fast past the details because the, the Gospels give us just the, the, the nuts and bolts of the story. And I think there's a lot of more depth. I think there's humor in this story. I, I'm just, and maybe it's just because of my own warped sense of thinking, but I look for the humor in the Gospels. And I think there's a moment in which Jesus is tweaking them. 
they were his friends. He was human. Because it says that they went out fishing all night and they caught nothing. Now, in Luke chapter 5, it talks about the fishermen. This is at the beginning of the Gospels. It's interesting. The Gospels begin and end with fishing stories. Luke chapter 5, Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 2. They're, they're the fishing stories in which Jesus emerges when he calls the disciples. John chapter 21 ends with a fishing story. Think there's some significance there? And uh, Luke chapter 5, it says that they were out fishing when Jesus appeared, and they had caught nothing, which makes me immediately question how good they were at their job. Um, but, but Jesus shows up, and they've caught nothing. Now, they're 100 yards offshore. They're not that far. They're not that big a boat. And Jesus says this, Hey, guys, caught any fish? See, now you can read that straight up as, well, he's, asked, he's genuinely asking. And maybe he was. Me? I think he's tweaking. I think he's having a little fun. Hey, guys, come on, we've done that. How's it going? Any luck? You know, when you know the answer, you're just digging a little. And so he asks him, have you caught any fish? But what he's doing, he's setting up for the next thing. Now, keep in mind, they don't know who it's Jesus. But he says to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, that to me is interesting. Because I would love to know, especially from Peter, how Peter reacted to that statement. Because it sounds straightforward, and the next thing it says he did. But, but you've got to stop for a moment. Because there's a couple things that Peter could have internalized and, and the way I internalized. One is, there is nothing worse than when somebody shows up and tries to tell you how to do your job. Yeah, I mean, we've all been there. When somebody shows up and starts a sentence with, what you really need to do is, okay, that usually doesn't end well. Preacher, what you really need to do is, you know, now listen, let me back up to say we all need people in our life to speak wisdom. All of us need correction. And, and, but usually when it starts, what you really need to do is that's not what's coming. That what's coming is, let me tell you how you should do it. Let me tell you because I think I know a little bit more than you. So, so Jesus shows up. He says, hey, Peter, why don't you throw the net on the other side? Of what you really need to do is throw it on the other side. Now, here's what's funny. A fishing boat's like this wide. I mean, these are, not, these are not ocean liners. They're two- or three-person boats. How much difference can it make? <laughs> but he says, throw it on the other side. I don't know. I wonder if Peter for a moment just kind of rolled his eyes and thought, you know, certainly... You've got to be kidding me. The other thing I wonder is, had they not done that already? Maybe they hadn't. Maybe this was Peter's response. No, sir, you don't understand. We don't fish on the right side of the boat. We've never done it that way before. We fish on the left side. If we fish on the right side, who knows what could happen. Next thing you're going to want women in the boat with us and we're going to have to get dressed up. 
We don't go that way. I don't know what Jesus or how they reacted to Jesus, but I do know this. Jesus is teaching a lesson. So how do you know that? Because Jesus didn't have to tell them to throw it on the other side. That miracle could have happened wherever. Jesus, wherever that net hit, Jesus was going to bring forth a miracle, a bounty of fish. But he tells them, throw your nets on the right side. He needs them to understand something. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do new things. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do things that we haven't done before. The disciples needed to understand that Jesus was starting to call them into places and things that years before they would have thought unimaginable. They were in the fishing business. That's who they were. Jesus wants them to understand that it's a different kind of fishing. It's the same kind of fishing he'd used, the image of the, or the, the words he used when he called them at the beginning of the Gospels. Come, and you're going to fish, but you're fishing for people. We're in the fishing business. That's who we're called to be. But we need to hear Jesus when often he calls us, throw your net on the other side of the boat. See, too often we, we become guilty. The church is the worst at doing the same thing over and over again, even when you're pulling no fish, when there's no bounty, there's no fruit, there's no pro- nothing's being produced because, well, that's what we do. Jesus reminds us that sometimes we're called to do something new. New things God's doing. We need to hear that as a challenge. We don't do things for the new things for the sake of it. We do because we seek to hear where Jesus is calling us. It's significant that it was his voice that was calling them to do it. And they did. They responded in obedience. That's what God has always done. The, the founder of United Methodism, or of Methodism, the, the name that we talk about more than others in the Methodist church is John Wesley. John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest, Church of England in the 18th century, who led worship in the high and holy places of England. He had a friend by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield took notice of something. He said, you know, a lot of people aren't coming to church. They're not coming into our cathedrals and holy places and our churches. They're working. They're out in the coal mines, working every day. And so he thought, you know, if they're not going to come to us, maybe we should go to them. And so he started going out in the fields at 5 a.m. and preaching and leading worship as people were on their way to work. And so he went to his friend John Wesley. He said, we need to take the gospel to them. We need to go to church out there. And John Wesley said, that is, and this is his word, vile. He said, it's vile. Because that's not where you worship. That's not where church is. Church happens in the steeples and in the the holy places with the the right clothing and the right music and and the right rituals and the right candles lit and all of those things. He said, that's vile. George Woodfield wouldn't let up. And he badgered him and he badgered him and he badgered him until finally John Wesley relented. And he went there into the fields to begin to preach to the miners at 5 a.m. going to work. And you know what he found out? God started doing some pretty cool stuff. And men were giving their lives to Jesus, and they were becoming Christians, and they were following Christ. And lives were being changed. John Wesley would later said, I became desperate 
to become more vile. Because he knew, finally, that Jesus had called him to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And he began to preach into the fields. He even preached once standing on top of his father's tombstone to reach people for Jesus, whatever it took. Because he understood Jesus has called him to a new way. In fact, he'd go on to say, the world is my parish. That's his famous quote, the, quote, the world is my parish. And I'm still trying to figure out how we can use that because that's too good for us not to use somehow. But the world is my parish. We're called to be passionate about catching fish. We're fish that have been caught. But when we come to Christ, we're called to cast our nets for others. That's what Jesus is reminding those disciples. That's what he reminds us. And woe to us when we forget that's the objective. To go and to make disciples. To bring others in so they can know the grace and salvation that we have experienced through Jesus. It has to be our passion. We have to be willing to listen to Jesus. And I know they're saying, this, this is the kind of sermon that makes people nervous. I know that because every service people are thinking, all right, what's he about to change? What's he about to mess with? And I'm not. Not right now. But I'm just saying we better be willing to hear. We better be willing to listen. You know, there's, there's a story of a, of a Methodist evangelist in the 19th century by the, by the name of C.C. C. McCabe. And uh, he was part of the, the Methodist movement that was kind of um, expanding as the country expanded and planting churches throughout the United States. In the 19th century, the, the Methodist church averaged planting one new church a day as the United States expanded westward. And he was part of that. And that was the vision of the church. And, and he was traveling to Wyoming. He was on the train and he happened to stop and he got a newspaper and he read in the newspaper the story of a philosopher and an agnostic by the name of Robert Ingersoll who made a statement one day. He said, the church across America is dying. It has been struck to death. That was his pronouncement of the church. And C.C. C. McCabe was not content with that. And so he wired a transaction back to Robert Ingersoll. And he said this, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. The United Methodist Church is proposing to plant one church a day. I propose we make it two. And the newspapers picked up on it. And it was carried throughout. And it became kind of a rallying call of the Methodist Church. So much so that there was a song written that used to be sung in camp meetings. I don't know how many of you have ever been a part of a Methodist camp meeting, but they would have these camp meetings and they would sing gospel songs, kind of stuff Alan sang for us today. And the song went something like this. It said, the infidels, not necessarily the best way to start a song, but the infidels, a motley crew, met in council and said, the church is dying across the land and soon it will be dead. But suddenly the message came and caught them with dismay. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. We're planting two a day. Two a day, dear Bob. Two a day. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. We're planting two a day. Now, the church was passionate 
about casting their net wherever the Lord led them. Here's what's great about that story. 100 years later, roughly 100 years later, would have been the late 70s. In a church in Wisconsin, a United Methodist Church in Wisconsin, a man came to the altar of the church and asked to be baptized. His name was Robert Ingersoll III. Two months later, that same pastor baptized his son, Robert Ingersoll IV. The great-grandson and the grandson of Robert Ingersoll, who pronounced the church dying, gave their life to Jesus because of those who were passionate to plant and reach and would not stop. The sad part is we're closing more churches than we're planting now. And I think part of it is we've stopped listening to Jesus and where he calls us to cast our nets. We've got content with doing what we've always done. Nope, we fish on the left side of the boat. Jesus, sorry. Yeah, there's nothing in the net, but this is what we do. And we stop listening. This isn't about saying that we should do this or we should do that. It's not saying this way is better or this pro. It's about saying we need to be intentional about listening. As a church and in our own lives, how are we casting our nets? I got convicted real hard a couple weeks ago. I'm going to tell you why. I got an invitation. I was given four tickets to go to a prayer breakfast in Bradenton. And I was told, invite three people who are unchurched, who are three men who are unchurched. Don't go to church, but they're seeking. And invite them to come to this breakfast. And you know what? I couldn't find three. Because I hang out with you people all the time. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm around church people all the time. And I've lost a connection with those outside the church in this community. That unsettled me. Because I'm called to cast my net too. And you all are all caught. You're here. But there's so many who aren't. So it's a personal challenge. I don't do this necessarily very well either. But it's our call. And it's our call as the church. How are we called to cast our net? All this vision and stuff we're doing, these surveys we're doing, what we're trying to do is hear Jesus speak to us. Who are we called to cast our net to reach? We have to be a little careful because right now we're taking surveys of all of us. So we're surveying the aquarium. <laughs> Not to see. We need to be aware of that. We're called, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And then 100, I mean, that's the fish story, 153. 153. Now, in the Bible, anytime there's a number, everybody goes crazy trying to figure out what the number means. And you can read all kinds of theories about what 153 means. I mean, there's, everybody has one. And I don't know that any of them are necessarily true. And maybe they just counted and they sold them and there was 153. But I love what St. Jerome proposed in the 4th century. He said this, he said, at the time of Jesus, they only knew of 153 different kind of fish. That was his theory. There was only 153 kind of fish known. And so when, the net, when it says that there were 153 fish in the net, it was communicating the truth that everybody was part of the catch. We were called to cast our net for everybody. Nobody was left out. Every kind of fish, every kind of person was to be reached. Now, I'm not telling you that's what it really meant. But I'm telling you, I like that because it reminds us our mission field. And it's everybody, everybody you lock eyes with. That's our mission field. How we called to reach, how you called to reach. That's our challenge. See, the disciples thought they were going back to business, but they thought that business was what they had done before they met Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're going back to business. But it's that fishing I called you to at the beginning of the ministry. Fish for people. That was their call. That's our call. That's our business. 
The question is, are we listening to Jesus and are we throwing our nets in the places he called us to? That's the voice we need to hear. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for your patience with us um, in sometimes our stubbornness, in our short-sightedness, that we too often just we stop hearing. Help us to remember we have received a blessing through faith, but we're called to share that, to see others come to that blessing of faith and to cast our nets wherever you would call. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. And help us to fish well. We pray in Christ. Amen.